0: Hey, it's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Thus far, we've covered in Black History an inclusive account of American history. Ancient Africa, the transatlantic slave trade, the American system, the forming thereof, Emancipation and Reconstruction, and now in Unit 5, The Great Migration and its aftermath. It's migration northward, westward, and I'll uh, also include upward in America. A great book, a textbook for all of you out there, written by Drs. Walter Milton Jr. and Joel A. Freeman. And Joel, thank you for coming back for another installment, my friend. Great to have you here. Good to be here. Thanks a lot, David. And let me remember to remind everyone, or let me remind everyone, rather, that they can go to bh365.org. Uh, there's an ebook. I like the hard copy. It's 1,248 pages. So, Joel, I can uh, read it, and I can work out my mind and my body, for that matter. Uh, but let's dive into the Great Migration, because following emancipation, there had to be that migration.
1: Yes, and uh, what happened uh, prior to the Great Migration? Of course, we have in uh, the late 1800s uh, we have the Plessy v. Ferguson, uh, uh, separate but equal, uh, that was the legislation that was handed down by the Supreme Court. We take a look at the numbers of lynching, especially in the South, and they, they just skyrocket in the, from 1890 uh, on. And then you have the conditions in the South uh, because of the, uh, the tr- troops being taken out at the end of Reconstruction out of the South, Richmond, Virginia, and other, other places in the South. And then all the Black Codes and the, uh, the Jim Crow laws, uh, the rise of the military arm of the Democratic Party, the KKK, Ku Klux Klan, the red shirts in, in North Carolina, all that started uh, just fomenting in the South. And then what happened is it's kind of a, in the early 19th, early 20th century, uh, there were strict legisl- legislations that limited immigrants to the United States and what happened is that this caused a a great shortage of labor in industrial and manufacturing centers especially in the northeast and the midwest and so what happened is that uh, we see this uh, this movement uh happening and initially um you know there there were papers like the chicago defender um the pittsburgh courier the amsterdam news black newspapers that were uh, they, they were advertising housing, employment. Uh, they had cartoons in them that encouraged people to move uh, north, stories of people that had a successful uh, migration from the south-north. Uh, train schedules were even published. And we began to see that uh, the first migration was from 1910 to about 1940. And this was a, a period of tremendous movement. And it shocked the, uh, the growers, the white planters and growers in the South, uh, because they, they were just like, what is happening here? And uh, <clears throat> people were moving to places like uh, Gary, Indiana, uh, Chicago, Detroit, New York, Philadelphia, all these industrial centers in the North. And, of course, people started sending uh, letters back home in the south. Uh, Word started spreading. And sometimes planters would wake up in the morning, and uh, anyone over 21 years of age was gone and had moved to the north. And so a lot of restrictions began to happen amongst the the white planters and growers. Uh, We have also... You know, uh, just there is a guy by the name of James Vardaman, who was uh, the governor of Mississippi and later on a U.S. Senator of Mississippi. Uh, he he just said that uh, if it's necessary, according this is a quote from him, he says, if it is necessary, every Negro in the state of Mississippi will be lynched. It will be done to maintain white supremacy. And that is the kind of attitude and kind of atmosphere that caused this tremendous pull to the north. And then that we have the second migration, which started in 1940, right around the onset of the Second World War. There were tremendous needs for munitions, plants, and women involved in industry. And, uh, and of course, the, the, the news was coming from uh, the first 40 years, 30 years or so of migration to the north. Uh, come on up. And then you have people coming in the second migration and moving out west also. Uh, For instance, Jackie Robinson, the famous baseball player, uh, his family moved to California. And that's where he learned, uh, you know, played baseball and became and and broke the color barrier in the the Major League Baseball, uh, Major League Baseball. So stockyards, steel mills, uh, tanneries, hospitals, railroads, factories all were places where uh, people from the south black people from the south could move north
0: You know, talking about a lot of this movement, of course, that gives rise. You talk about the books, the train schedules. One of the books people recognize, and certainly uh, currently because of the movie, is the Green Book. uh, And more accurately, the Negro Motorist Green Book, a guide for black tourists that provided safe travel in segregated America. Was that more than just a book and a travel guide and, and a reflection of a culture that was shifting?
1: You know, I wish uh, Walter could be here to help me to tell this story, but I'll do my best, <laughs> uh, uh, Dr. Walter Milton. But, um, yeah, what happened is that um, the Green Book became something that every black family had a copy of. Uh, and this was from a uh, time period of 1936 to 1964, when uh, the, the gentleman who uh, who published the Green Book, Victor uh, Hugo Victor Green. He then, uh, in 1964, after some of the legislation, you know, the, the Civil Rights Act and, and, and Voting Act and all these different things that began to happen in the early 60s, he felt it was no longer necessary uh, to the degree that he had done it before. But uh, kind of a backdrop, uh, we know that um, the YMCA, you know, uh, has been around since, ni- since about 1851. But in 1875, uh, they developed a, a YMCA specifically for Asians in San Francisco. Uh, in 1879, they developed a, um, a YMCA specifically for Native American Indians in, uh, in South Dakota. And in 1853, uh, we have the first YMCA, for, uh, especially for blacks, by Anthony Bowen on 12th Street in YMCA. And uh, we had... Uh, Thurgood Marshall stayed there when he was uh, doing uh, when he was representing different different cases in the Supreme Court. He would stay at the YMCA, the only place that would allow him to stay. Perhaps uh, Dr. Charles Drew, Cab Calloway, Duke Ellington, and in uh, 1910 uh, we have uh, Julian Rosenwald, who was uh, uh, one of the founders of Sears and Roebuck. He uh, did a matching grant. Uh, where he developed 26 YMCAs that were designed to serve black people around the country. These were uh, safe dorm rooms, eating facilities uh, to benefit black travelers, and especially servicemen in segregated and discriminatory uh, areas of the country. And so you can imagine, uh, just think of Nat King Cole. You know, he he was uh, a great performer that traveled all over the place, but he dealt with so many different things. I mean, uh, throughout his life, the KKK burned a cross on his lawn. Uh, He had nasty neighbors in in Hollywood. Um, His dog was killed, poisoned, to send a signal that he better leave. He had a brutal physical attack on stage in Birmingham. Uh, Denial of service time and time again. So we can see pictures of Nat King Cole performing in clubs with his band. And it brings up the question in our minds, you know, uh, we look at the photograph. They seem to be having a great time. We think of the logistics before and during after the show. You know, where did they buy gas for their vehicle? What restaurant allowed them to eat? Uh, did they enter the restaurant through the, uh, the front door, the back door? Did the club demand that they had to enter through the back door? And after a, 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 an incredible performance, what hotel allowed them to experience hospitality and a stress-free um, uh, sleep for that night? And so when we consider this, all of this, they used the Green Book uh, that provided uh, a place for people to, to, uh, to buy gas. They, they knew that this was a, a place where black people could buy gas. Uh, they knew that this was a place as a hotel for people to uh, come, a barbershop, hair salon, theaters, dance halls, summer resorts, trailer parks, camps, uh, restaurants, all the different things, bars nightclubs, anything anyone wanted to do on a trip uh, was, was listed in the Green Book.
0: Yeah, it's such a great publication because of not only the, the realities of it, but as I said, the reflection of, of changes. You know, when you bring up the the co-founder of Sears and Roebuck, that others stepped in because there was clearly bigotry, segregation Uh, death uh, for some as we're in a very tumultuous time moving forward you know I think about the history Joel and you know we have the debate going on right now about tearing down statues and this is another thing that I'd like to give a couple of minutes to on this current debate and how you address this in Black History 365 an inclusive account of American history.
1: What happened, uh, uh, that's a great question, because we think about you know 11, 11 states seceded from the Union at the beginning of the Civil War. And there are some estimates between 620,000 Americans died, uh, all the way up to 750,000 Americans died. And so, uh, you know, in, in April 9th, in 1865, General Lee surrendered. And during Reconstruction, you hear the, the battle cry from the South, the South will rise again. Well, in 1894, there was a a group called the United Daughters of the Confederacy. They're they're, uh, uh, UDC, they called it. And um, so what they did is they they started chapters around the United States, erecting monuments, and they even uh, developed curricula for schools to re-educate children about what happened. It grew from 1,700 members in 1900 all the way to 100,000 members some 20 years later. Uh, in the early uh, part of the the, the first uh, first World War, and they were praising soldiers for upholding the Anglo-Saxon civilization of the South, and uh, most statues were raised between 1900 and 1920, where the the lost cause was promoted. Uh, they gave a romanticized view of slavery, and this you know winners. Uh, of wars generally write the history, but perhaps this is the first time in in human history that the losers wrote the history. So there's a a tortured history behind these monuments and statues. Uh, Today, you know, and we take a look at it uh, in the textbook, Black History 365, where there's a binary choice, we provide both views. And so uh, there's very interesting views from, you know, the, the, hey, let's tear them down, And interesting views from no, let's leave them up, or maybe add another statue next to it, and it becomes a teaching tool uh, for for the country. So I I'm kind of conflicted about this. I mean, it's it is a tortured history behind it, but I do think that uh, these can become uh, great opportunities, and I'm afraid that if we lose. Uh, If we tear down a lot of the statues, we lose the opportunity to uh, provide opposing views and to uh, to be a teaching tool for our society. Joel Freeman, one of the authors
0: of Black History, an inclusive account of American history, uh, online at bh365.org and part of an ongoing series here, which is also available in a podcast form on our SiriusXM platform. Uh, Today's the National Day of Prayer, Joel. And I had uh, our mutual friend Ben Carson on yesterday to talk about it. But today in America, on a national day of prayer, let's talk about the role of the Black Church. You go into that in Unit 5.
1: Yes, there's uh, the Black Church is, is an institution that cannot be denied when talking about the overarching view of, of uh, the history of African Americans here in this country. And no overview is complete without understanding the role of the church. Because I think that the black church uh, is perhaps the largest and most stable institution base in the black community, especially when we consider that it's his, it has always outnumbered employer based businesses, it's outnumbered HBCUs. It's outnumbered other entities like the Urban League or the NAACP. The black church has actually been the feeder stream for all of these other entities. And uh, it's existed in every community where black people live. They generally have owned real estate and have had a leader with a respected voice. And arguably, there's no other institution in American history that even comes close in terms of community, uh, multi-generational impact. In an ongoing economic viability and uh, we know that there's a lot of uh, fighting against the 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 whole idea of the black church because especially on uh, on slave plantations when black people would meet on Sundays there would, there would generally be a, a minder uh, just like when, when someone today travels to um, uh to china let's say they'll have a minder that'll travel with them to make sure you know the things are are said properly and handled properly and to watch well very similarly they had minders in the service and that's why black preachers became very artistic and clever in the way they would communicate certain things the minder it would just zip right by the minder they would not even understand it but everyone in the pews and the seats or on the ground would understand exactly what was being communicated also, there was a slave Bible um, that was published, 1808. Um, th- th- there's a picture in the textbook, Black History 365, of one of the slave Bibles uh, I- I- exhibited in the, in, in the Museum of the Bible in D.C. Uh, originally, I mean, it's, it's owned by Fisk University, but they were given a year to exhibit it. But it just shows that the slave Bible, they cut out the entire book of Exodus, uh, anything to do with freedom or liberation, uh, they, would, they removed from the, the, from the Bible and they had the temerity to call it the Holy Bible. Anything to do uh, in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul talking about the liberty we have in Jesus Christ and all the rest uh, throughout the scriptures, all taken out. And so uh, I would not want to be in the publisher's shoes standing before their creator because Book of Revelation says you add to or take away from this book, <laughs> there's a serious curse, uh, just serious problems that emerge. But anyway, this was all designed to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to just bring a sense of overwhelming, you know, okay, study the Bible. Uh, but uh, we don't want we want you to to uh, be understanding about obedience, submission, and acceptance. And so, there's such historical importance. Uh, I think every every person in, in the 20th century who has been a performer, entertainer, have received their first uh, recognition of their respective gifts and the wholehearted encouragement and stage experience in church. Uh, and I think with, with some exceptions like Elijah Muhammad. I think virtually every key personality in black history of Rosa Parks, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, Booker T. Washington, Mary McLeod Bethune, Jesse Owens, Sojourner Truth, has had a Christian faith story. And so in the textbook, we go into great detail uh, talking about the, uh, the AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And uh, we talked about mission agencies, because white-controlled mission agencies— they were not interested in black people going out on the mission field. And so uh, black people had to form their own mission agencies. And, and then black people were not accepted in white-dominated uh, churches. And so that's why they had to form their own churches. And uh, it became, uh, you know, o- over time, you know, just, just many, many people, uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people uh, being a part of the black church. Well, it certainly had its
0: effect on this nation, and it will continue to do so, Joel, in its current time, current form. Uh, This and so much more in Unit 5, my friend. Uh, Black history, an inclusive account of American history. Uh, Next time, we're going to get into uh, civil rights and American justice. And as you know, the church was a focal point, a, a central point, Uh, for the civil rights battle. And at that time, it was sorely needed. Uh, Always a pleasure. Thank you both for this book, this course, uh, this 10-unit course for everyone. And uh, I hope people continue to share and learn more. Thank you, David. Joel Freeman, one of the two authors, along with Dr. Walter Milton, Jr. of Black History, an inclusive account of American history, available at bh365.org. This is a textbook. It's a learning experience, rich text along with rich content tied to technology, which is integrated with QR codes. So it goes beyond the 1,248 pages in the 10 units. We'll be back with another installment in just a couple of weeks, and I'll be right back. You can join me live on The David Webb Show, Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east, on SiriusXM Patriot 125.